welcome to Sintalk. The Sintalkers around the table today discuss the exile of poets. We'll think about poetry in exile, the interrelationship and the links with language, knowledge, emotions, sentiments, logic, the state, form, aesthetics and more. What does a poet say? How is poetry different from philosophy or criticism? Why is there an occasional cry to banish poetry from the ideal state? What is distinctive about the mode of poetry? Can a poet write without having spent some time in some exile? What is exile and how is it distinct from homelessness? How does one become a poet? And what is the very long-term future of poetry and might it evolve or morph into something else? We are pleased and privileged to have three recent talkers with us here today. Professor Ashwini Kumar, who is a public policy professor at TIS and a poet, he lives in Mumbai. Udayan Vajpayee, who is a poet and a short story writer, he lives in Bhopal. And Professor Tanshu Yashish Chandra, who is a poet playwright who writes in Gujarati and lives in Vadodara. Sitanshu, maybe we set the ball rolling with you um, to ask the somewhat innocuous question of who is a poet? Um, what does the poet say? Um, maybe we start there and we'll open a few flanks and then tie them up later as we go around the table. Yes, fortunately, the word poet doesn't have a single meaning, <laughs> uh, which makes it easier for him mm. because... Uh, you can don different hats. Yes, because if he's banished, mm. there are more than one reasons. And uh, that that helps diffuse the situation. Mm. Because then the battle with the banisher mm. uh, could become more of a guerrilla warfare mm. rather than one-to-one -one clash. Mm. So different cultures have a different sense about this word poet. Mm -hmm. In fact, Kavi, for example. Mm -hmm. It's that particular sense of what it does. Is he a seer? Is he a moral guide? Is he an entertainer? Mm. Is he an acknowledged or unacknowledged lawmaker? And so on. Mm. So, mm. I would like to understand the word exile basically comes from Greek and European tradition, mm -hmm. but there is also a sense of banishment of the poet and of poetry, which are two different things, incidentally. Sure. Uh, in Indian tradition also. Mm -hmm. So who are uh, uh, in the Indian tradition who 
were either poets or poetry or poetry related or readers who were uh, exiled and why were they exiled and who were the ones poetry readers being exiled we'll come to that uh, yeah <laughs> for reading and repeating literature Mm. In Indian tradition, there is a great example of being banished, and Brahmakatha comes out of it. One of the greatest uh, uh, books of Indian literature, sure. because. Uh, but we'll come to that sure. as we go around. Sure, 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 sure. Who is a poet to you, Udayan? Ah, uh, poet is somebody who is engaged in two, three things. One is that he is incessantly searching to create beauty. but you know along with beauty whether he or she wants it or not a certain ethical dimension would also enter because in fact all the ethics has uh, its roots in beauty in the sense of beauty and uh, you know we can discuss it out uh, in much detail that uh, you see you discriminate it for the sense of beauty you have to discriminate mm-hmm. between the beautiful and the ugly or less beautiful or something like that mm. and in ethics of course you differentiate mm. so this uh, one sense is to create the beauty but at the same time poet is somebody who is very acutely aware of the limitation of the language mm-hmm. uh, because uh, he or she is somebody who goes to the very limit of the language and mm-hmm. thereby recognizes very deeply that the language is extremely insufficient so there is a contradiction as a very deep contradiction that here is somebody who releases the powers of the language in his writing or her writing and at the same time makes one realize that language has extreme limitation it doesn't allow uh someone to express totally And, and why why do you say that poetry goes to the limits of language It just has to do with its apparently minimalistic structure or uh because the uh you see the language has certain rules to it follows certain rules you know mm. for its unfolding sure and the emotions or the thinking somehow is much more anarchic so you know it's like trying to fit something which is limitless into something which is which has a limit mm. so this recognition of the fact that it cannot be totally expressed there mm. and because poets work on the extremities mm-hmm. uh, of uh, thought of emotion of uh, experience and therefore more and more uh, you know poetry you read more and more or you write you realize that uh, a point comes when one feels that uh, you are restricted by the very dynamics of the language and uh, do you use the word extremities in, in more or less the same sense as difficult or i mean not it, difficult there there can be something poetic or reflective about yes. the mundane day to day yes i mean hmm. even mund- experience of the mundane can be very acute yes I mean, uh, Anand Vardhan, the great Sanskrit uh, theoretician, said that uh, the fundamental task of poetry is to recognize the extraordinary in every in every ordinary thing. So you know, this extraordinary or what he calls alaukic, 
which is mm. other lok the Alok, other world the other worldly the other worldly yeah in the worldly so this other worldly recognition of this other worldly in the worldly needs the expression through the very worldly language and there the conflict comes into being isn't this an undue burden uh, it gives uh, it 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 gives pain and pleasure pain in the sense that you are not able to you know express it totally and the pleasure is that you recognize that you can go beyond the language and there are means by which poetry goes beyond the language and there are ways by which the poet goes beyond the language and one of the ways that is very which is described in the tradition is by dhwani mm. that mm. which is suggestion that you suggest that which cannot be written so mm. what you do is that you go up to that limit and then you suggest something which only is experienceable yeah which is not said yeah and therefore poetry in it's a fact it's a cue it's a cue yeah and this cue is then through reader gets individuated yeah it's a very individual experience then so you give a cue and let the reader do they that travel of yeah. his or her own yeah we'll get back to this adhyan i think there's some interesting ideas here how does one become a poet ashwini i think the best post to you <laughs> that's quite interesting you know how does one become a poet uh, does one become a poet i think becoming uh, is is a little hegelian you know where I, uh, through a dialectical process uh, but i think uh, uh, i have a different response to that uh, how do you become a poet uh, and how did you become a poet uh, mm. so i have my personal take on that which is also a political take on poet mm-hmm. uh, there are two ways of looking at uh, if you look at western tradition of poetry uh, there is a deep suspicion about poetry in the west and that's the reason po- plato banished poets out of his kingdom ideal kingdom out of the republic yeah his republic you know because there is a deep uh, you know pessimism about poets why uh, the the reason that you know poet for i think you know right reason and a lot of political regimes have literally taken plato very seriously mostly authoritarian regimes the reason being uh, that poets express what what he called the bestial sentiments mm. yeah which is not the you know for the ideal king and the philosopher king what is important is the logic of reason and rationality mm. so if you look at uh, three elements of soul so the poet represents appetitive and the bestial part so therefore they need to be expunged out of the soul so that philosopher king continues to represent only rationality and reason and the logic so for good reason expel poet out of the kingdom mm. because they are not required if they are around they will, they would evoke passions raw crude passions leading to violence etc etc so poet plato has a design to keep the republic intact and peaceful throw poet out of the kingdom so that there is no raw sentiment around so this this begins a tradition of looking at poetry in the west and you can find it here in uh, i have a political context to explain here in in the context of yugoslavia if you look at uh, bosnia herzegovina milosevic's war when he led mm. most of these uh, uh, ethnic conflicts took place 
in uh, Yugoslavia, they were inspired by poets. They wrote poems to 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 suggest that go to war. This mm. and therefore poets because they can your, rouse sentiments. Yeah, so, that's the yeah. that's the reason that mm. Plato is justified, and there is a tradition in Europe which continues. So you're not necessarily to, uh, skeptical of Plato. Yeah, I'm. I'm my my own position in Plato that you know part of it is uh, you know pretty legitimate. Uh, if you look at all authoritarian regimes, uh, and uh, in Europe particularly, poets have played a role in uh, say genocide, war, and violence, uh, because po poet poetry, or poets, uh, according to Plato, represent images of truth, not real truth. Mm. So therefore, they need to be taken care of. Coming back to India and our Indian traditions, uh, we have a very interesting, different, radical view on poetry. Because if you look at uh, you know our own origins, you know, and mm. that's the reason I would come back and answer this: How do you become a poet? Uh, I don't know when I became a poet and how do I become a poet? Because Indian tradition begins with uh, poetry only. Your Vedas, uh, you know, and look at epic poems, you know, Ramayana's and Mahabharata's. What comes and, first? I mean, does 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 yeah. does uh, poetry always come after prose? I mean, how, how has it gone all around the world? Uh, poet in India, uh, prose and verse. Is, is, is there a way of thinking about this more systematically? Like, does is, is prose an extension or a follow-up or a successor to, sorry, and the poetry a successor to yeah. prose? No, in Indian tradition, mm. uh, verse and prose, mm. both could, could be vehicle of poetry, kavya. Right. Right. Uh, so, uh, when we look at the Western tradition, mm. as Ashwini said about uh, Plato, mm. so what was Plato's objection? Mm. It, it was that poets didn't know. It was a knowledge-related objection, epistemological objection. Mm. So what was knowledge for Plato, which poets, according to him, didn't possess? Mm. His knowledge was an abstraction, the idea. And what was the nature of idea? Three things. One, ideas were perfect. The idea of the table was a perfect table. Yeah. So perfection. Second, it was universal. Yeah. Anywhere, the ideal table, anywhere, any place. And third, it was eternal. Yeah. So place was denied, time was denied, and imperfection was denied. Yeah. And he accused the poets <laughs> of all the three. <laughs> so... He is accusing the poets of being worldly. Worldly, yeah. And <laughs> not, not perfect. And uh, specific to time and specific to place. And mm. that was not truth according to him. Mm. Uh, so, there's another, as Ashwin said, uh, emotions were aroused. Mm. This was answered by Aristotle. Yeah. There was purging of emotions. So let them stay. Mm. Of course, the knowledge part was... Knowledge part objection was answered by Nietzsche after 70 centuries. Yeah, yeah. So he said that... Uh, by then, Hegel, Kant and Hegel had come in. So he said that, don't think of... He, didn't, he did not privilege philosophy over poetry or the other way around. So. He, he didn't even... Yeah, he, he didn't understand philosophy the way Plato did. Yes. Or anyone before Nietzsche did. Yeah. So his understanding of poetry, of philosophy, was that 
philosophical truth is a process mm. and not a product. Mm. Mm. There is where poetry finds its foothold in a good society. Mm. Mm. It's very interesting that... It's uh, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you look at Das Peg Zarastustra, yes. it's, 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 you can read it as poetic work. <laughs> But can I come in? Uh, yeah. uh, uh, it, it seems that, uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, kind of uh, traversing... Uh, very extraordinary paths and trajectories of poetry across cultures. When you look at, you know, our own Dandi, Daskumar Charitra, uh, in our poetry, if you look at, uh, uh, you know, who are with you in poetry? I mean, like, that's the question, you know, poet always Who asks. are with you in poetry? Yeah, who What are with you mean? in the poetry? means that, you know, you are there, you know, you are looking at yourself. So there is a kind of a narcissism involved in poetry. Mm. Every poet is narcissistic to some extent uh, because poets are known for what Freud called, you know, suffering from narcissistic injury. If you're not injured, you would not write, you know, look at, uh, <laughs> you know, the birth origins of Ramayana, you know. I mean, like uh, the great poet was, you know, forced by, you know, when the, what is that, Kron uh, Chubad. Mm. So that provoked him to utter the first poem, you know. So that's injury. He was injured. So that's the narcissistic expression. But Since if you look at Dandi I was referring to, uh, who are with me? I mean, like, I'm in brothel, prostitute, kings, uh, you know, all kinds of swindlers, thugs, uh, mm. you know. So poetry is that universe where I feel that, you know, it's, 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 it's half human and half monster space. <laughs> so that's the reason I always look at my own, you know, as a, as a poet when I express, uh, it may be jarring, but I would like you to have, uh, you know, a little bit compassion and mercy for me when I say that I write as a poet uh, almost in a state of not trance, not any kind of a spiritual trance or divine trance, as a schizophrenic experience. Because that's the only place where I'm not a human. Because if I am a human, uh, I would not write a poet po poem. Because writing poetry, if you look at Indian tradition, is always an act of, you know, a liminal act. You're half human or half what you are, I don't know. That's the reason India is so amazing place in terms of poetry, that we did not produce just one Ramayana. We have multiple Ramayanas. You have even a Santhal Oran's Ramayanas. That's very They, interesting. Yeah, so, so the same Sita, you know, acquires different features in every kind of... So that's the reason I feel that uh, poetry has to be done by those uh, who are uh, mentally sick, uh, maybe perhaps, you know, suffering from some kind of disorder. Otherwise, <laughs> you would not register any. If you are sane and happy, why would you register any? So poetry can never from the days of Rama to the days of modern regime can resist tyrannies of any kind. To resist tyranny, you have to become monster. Udayan, what yeah. we, why don't we go to you? Like, yeah. Is there a normal poet at all? I think, I mean, Ashwini is taking us in an interesting direction, which, yeah, is, I, which I, has I, its allure. I, I uh, would, I, I would to a certain extent, agree and to a certain extent, would not agree. Let's, let's start with the disagree, disagree side. Disagreement is that... Uh, uh, Sometimes this beginning can, of course, be a hurt, can mm. be a pain, can be a wound. Mm. But uh, there can be uh, is a possibility that you start uh, writing. Can something. poetry be a career? Uh, 
career, of course, it, ca it can't be. Uh, it's uh, because uh, I do feel that you cannot be trained into becoming a poet. That is something when people talk about these creative programs and, and would, all that. Would, 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 would most people agree with you? Would most poets agree with you? Do you agree with that, Sitanshu? Can you be? Can one be trained into becoming a poet? Training of course, a, one can have pretensions. Training, training is a necessary part, unavoidable part of writing poetry. But do you train yourself? Mm -hmm. You no, observe. No, you... There is to be something to start with. Sure. A natural ability, but. After the contact with Western world and especially through Golden Treasury, a very romantic textbook, the Indian view on poetry, uh, our own understanding of our own understanding of poetry has been solid. For example, <laughs> I would really take issues with Ashwini mm. uh, about uh, Valmiki. Mm. Valmiki was hurt, as Udayan said, but there is a verse Parasya na parasyeti, mameti na mameti cha. Mm -hmm. What is somebody else's is not somebody else's. What is mine is not mine. Mm -hmm. When that happens, then rasa, prakriya, the process of production of aesthetic beauty mm -hmm. or enjoyment begins. What happens? There are various potential potentialities of human mind. Yep. Any human mind. Yep. And one of these potentials which is called Thai Bhava, mm -hmm. is developed through the process of poetry. And it becomes a rasa. And it is this rasa which is not of, in theatre, not of the writer, not of the director, not of the actor, nor of the viewer, only. So it's a shared experience. And poetry in Indian tradition is this saradaya, is the foundation stone there. That is why the word exile would apply very differently, both at aesthetic level and at epistemological level in the Indian tradition, because mm -hmm. both aesthetics and epistemology, what is knowledge and what is poetry, is very different in Indian tradition and in the Western tradition. Indian tradition uh, uh, accepts... Uh, Ekoham uh, Bahusyam. So this Bahulta, multiplicity, is not a recent phenomenon. It is ingrained in the Indian way of thinking. Uh, finally, let, let's also make uh, then the distinction between exile of poetry and exile of the poet. Yeah, yes. yeah absolutely. Yes. So, the, yeah. uh, now, um, uh, in Plato, no poet is exiled. But in the Western tradition, poets have been exiled for reasons other than writing poetry. Dante was not exiled because he wrote poetry. Mm. In fact, after being exiled, he wrote poetry. Yes. yes. Ovid, another classical example of Western exile, one even doesn't know, some, uh, some critics have said that he never went away from you know, his uh, home space. <laughs> uh, in uh, uh, Gujarati, I'll conclude with this, this particular run in Gujarati, mm. we have, for pandits, we have, they go to uh, uh, Banaras, Varanasi, to learn uh, Sanskrit okay. and to learn the Shastras. So, they would ask, are you a Kashi Pandit or a Banaras Pandit? <laughs> a Kashi Pandit is someone who has actually gone to Banaras and studied properly. Right. Banaras, there is a pun. There is a river in North Gujarat. It is called Banas. Mm. 
सो शी हैज जस्ट गॉन टू बनास एंड कम बैक सो रोमांटिसिज्म कनेक्टेड विद द नोशन ऑफ एग्जाइल इज अ वेरी डेंजरस थिंग बिकॉज आई हैव सीन मेनी पोएट्स हु वॉलेंटरीली गो इन टू एग्जाइल दो these two words are hoping content. that they might become poets <laughs> this is a publicity uh, measure and uh, this is being prevalent in a very large uh, to to present oneself as a victim mm. to win the sympathy of the people and then to get get grace marks for writing bad poetry <laughs> is a dangerous thing and we must uh, shun it and in the current indian situation this danger is very much there that's interesting what is bad poetry i'll let you remark to that maybe or the yeah, previous the, question the, we were the, on the 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 first thing that i like to continue with uh, that kraunchivadvan that happens and this is considered to be the first poem in the indian tradition that the kraunch couple were making love mm-hmm. and suddenly uh, the male kraunch was killed right and valmiki was looking uh, attentively at that love making of the birds mm-hmm. and he got shock of his life mm-hmm. and he actually accused mm-hmm. but when he accused the hunter he found that he has done it in a chand right in a chand chand and i'm right. not not calling it a meter na no? i'm calling yeah. it a chand because chand has a very specific meaning mm. chand means what bergson would say duration chand is ah, that ah, so chand ah. is not a measurable uh, meter yeah. chand can be i mean yeah. Yeah. duration you know yeah and uh, so after having accused the hunter of the killing valmiki starts feeling that he is getting pleasure out of that that poem <laughs> that he recited so the karuna has now become karun ras so when it becomes karun ras then he starts feeling pleasure out of that now it might sound that it is very narcissist of him to have done that but that's not the uh, you know situation what is happening is that through his poetry he is able to touch his own self his own swabhav his own inner being mm. his own self you know atma and when he experiences this that, link between bhav and ras which yes. in a way we so, were talking about so through this thai bhav he actually has reached that which is not only him which is that which is not only the other it is that which is everything call it whatever now that experience is the experience of rasa in fact abhinav gupt somewhere says that at the time of experience of uh, poetry or any work of art he talks about poetry of course that you become uh, aparimit pramatrit which means that it is unlimited witnessness so you become a witness who is universal witness yeah. which means that you get rid of your individual self yeah so when you get rid of your individual self for that moment then valmiki also becomes the hunter at that point he is the bird he is the bird which was killed yeah he is the bird he is the arrow he is the hunter he is everything he is he is everything at that moment that is the moment where the karuna the shok becomes shlok where the karun becomes karun rasa beautiful so that is the point you know and this also is a point of a certain exile because he has exiled from this world where he was an individual self mm. into a universal self and yes. this is a very different kind of an exile 
as we yes. you know as we see it in the modern it's, terminology it's, a, it's almost a sublimation it's a, like a sublimation into something else yeah yeah and looking at everything from there i would say that the vintage point the point from where you are looking mm. is completely different mm. we can very well call it it's a sublimated exile of a poet a process of poetry is mm. such where it happens off and on mm. and uh, every poet repeats that in his or her own way you know mm. from wherever from hasya also you go to hasirasa mm. you in fact go to vibhats to the vibhats rasa yeah and that is very much there in poets like bas yeah. great sanskrit uh, poet because in sanskrit the playwrights were called uh, poets kalidas was a poet poet he was having they were they, mm. they were writing please mm. and in bas of course he is describing the scene in the war field he's describing blood he's de- but the way he describes you can only say after reading it or seeing it wah what a thing you don't say that oh how horrible this man is he's describing it the war field like that so i would think that european aesthetics privileged an idea of suffering i think it has come it must have come from christian tradition yeah the catholic root yes. yeah whereas in this tradition the thing is that the moment you come in contact with yourself there can only be pleasure and that is what is called rasa you know by lot of people what is more easy to recognize recognize good poetry bad poetry i mean are you able to say that this is yes wrong i think uh, your question is very nice you can recognize good poetry gets recognized in due course of time bad poetry is recognized immediately <laughs> and in the same way in the same way yeah, to recognize yeah. intellect takes yeah. a time yeah, yeah. to recognize a stupidity it takes no time <laughs> <laughs> interesting and why don't we also explore this link between form and content just yes. come to the structure of it and we'll come to you as well sitan shun this how how does that interplay happen you know to a layman a poetry just looks very different poems look different yes you uh, use, use the word chand a while ago yes. use the word meter there's a certain structure to it so what is it as a literary form is there something special it, there it has something to do with the Uh, innate disposition of the poet and it so happens uh, i feel that this is something the miracle that each one of us has a different swabhav there is no repetition in it in fact i have never met somebody with whom i could say that his disposition is same as somebody else there are like uh, there might be certain overlapping somewhere but poetry addresses that which is not overlapping so therefore for this swabhav finally to be expressed or created uh, you need a new chand and therefore so when nobody has the same swabhav yes or identical yes. if one were to be sharper about that but one is still tapping into the same rasa if poetry has yes. some kind of common appeal or something so yes. there's something interesting happening there isn't it because uh, what is universal in each one of us mm. is universal through different ways through different ways i mean there are innumerable ways of entering into that and mm. these ways are called swabhav so therefore every poet has to come up with this innate chand of himself and find its parallel in the language that he is writing in mm. so mm. therefore you have to search form 
you have to all the time search that how do you do that and of course have you had to struggle with it personally yes a lot have you had to struggle with it shitanshu yes for me uh, kavya is vangmaya what does that mean vak is speech mm-hmm. or language mm-hmm. so poetry is a thing of language mm-hmm. poetry is something that i do to language yes personally yeah and that is why the notion of exile in an indian way mm. uh, not in the western epistemological and emotive way but an indian way related to use of language mm-hmm. comes in mm-hmm. poetry is a very personal use of language mm-hmm. there are three types of uses one where the sound of the language is most important and nothing else and there is mantra mm. if you pronounce a mantra utter a mantra whether you know the meaning or not it will bring result kunti uttered a mantra and the surya came whether she wanted it or not a password password yeah second <laughs> is artha mm. if someone asks me uh, what is the pathway to the uh, what is the way to the railway station i could say go left yeah i could say please go left yeah. but the man will go left yeah so when meaning is predominant yeah. there is usual language yeah poetry does a trick it uses both that's Shabda- very interesting mm. shabdartau sahitau kavyam and with that is shabda and arth together is poetry as mm. a definition you cannot have a broader definition because apparently everything is correct but it's not so <laughs> it's not so bamaha defined it this way in 6th century and no one has changed you know bamaha one of the earliest institutions sure sure so uh, so so and what is what is this togetherness and with it an indian story of uh, exile mm. uh, comes in to which i referred earlier mm. listening to yes now if something is meant to be listened to spoken by one and listened to by just one more person mm. shiva is telling a story Mm. it is only for parvati mm. and not for general consumption mm. poetry is like that very intimate talk also at one of the so a do uh, a, a shiva gana a servant of shiva pushpadanta mm-hmm. he overhears it mm-hmm. and the stories are so good that uh, he wants to tell it to his wife mm. so he tells it to his wife who is of course a friend of parvati or a, so she tells parvati oops and when parvati comes to know that something which was very private has been made so public by this man he's banished so right. this is the, in whole world literature i do not know all the world literature but it is a rare thing it's a unique thing that uh, for listening to something which you are not where the reader where uh, the reader the listener can be banished uh, yeah <laughs> and, and the fun part of it is that the ushapa that means the remedy of this uh, punishment is that pushpadanta should go to the mortal world and tell this story to everyone and oh. he he tells his story in paishachi language in language of foresters right into animals right only then the king comes to know that no all the animals are not available for the king to eat so what is happening so they are listening to pushpadan the telling brahat katha story so the idea of uh, literature as 
a thing of language has these consequences because if in one mode if it is transgressed the poetic mode of language if it is transgressed in a particular way then what else could happen other than banishment it's automatic you yourself have transgressed particular way and of course this very pr- private personal uh, mode of talk between shiva and parvati is of course not the only mode or the only form of poetry uh, there are many other forms and it is said riti ratma kavyasya that means the way a thing is said is poetry something that valeri said several centuries after that and uh, then it is says vishishta pada rachana riti when the words are put in a particular way it is poetry so i think the idea of uh, content and form is not tenable there is cont- in indian tradition that there They're is a separate together uh, they're there together they have to be together only by formulating new experience mm. can't said form without content is blind and content without form is empty like that emptiness and blind i'm probably mixing up the order sure. but uh, the form and content have to go together croce recognized that later yeah. on yeah. and uh, uh, so i think this contemporary idea that you experience social reality you experience uh, uh, injustice and then you put it in words and it becomes poetry and there is protest and that protest is punished by the government or the you know political power and that is uh, exile uh, this whole idea i don't quite understand does there need to be something unsafe i'll go to you ashwin india have a remark to that I, i think you know i wanted to comment on form and the content please uh, i think if you look at uh, you know Uh, the origins of poetry and the contrasting origins of novel and prose in the west uh, sure. they have different sociological origins mm. uh, novel is particularly li- related novel is a is a, is a, is a, is, a, is a programmatic experience of bourgeoisie not the poetry mm. that's the reason poetry is very dangerous art mm. not not the bourgeoisie i'm not you know when i read novel uh, you know i'm working on a novel but i'm not scared of my novel but i'm scared of my poetry mm. i mean this i find uh, because when rama goes into exile i mean like uh, rama was literally sent into exile mm. uh, uh, into a redemptive exile so that is scary and uh, mm. when he returns from exile is also scary because rama's story is not a prose story so the the forms the form the relationship between form and content in indian tradition is blurred so therefore if you look at telugu kannada and uh, various bhashas in india uh, they when deal with poetry i think there there are no sharp watertight uh, compartments between form and the content i guess you know these days i'm uh, writing very long poems uh, so one of my historian friends commented that are you writing itihas i said that i'm done if i write poetry like itihas i'm very true to origins of poems poetry in india mm. because puranas are poetry itihas mm. so here you know uh, in the western tradition uh, itihas is a, is called historiography 
it has a certain meter, certain techniques, certain mode of expression. So that's the reason when I come back to my own traditions and I find myself completely exiled, and I expressed it very, very, very clearly and rather loudly, that look, when I write in English, I'm actually, I express my experience of estrangement, perhaps alienation from my own language. So you're writing in a foreign language? Yeah, I'm not writing in a, I don't call it a foreign language, mm -hmm. a, a language without any home. So uh, it, there is no foreignness as such. Mm -hmm. But it is this estrangement, I think all poets, we are three here, and I think um, when Udayan was expressing about uh, that relationship in terms of aesthetics, I think all of us estranged, you know, Balmiki estranged, and then he said that. If he had not estranged himself from immediate experience, he would not have become a poet. Mm -hmm. So every poet, I, I insist, has to be exiled. If he or she is not exiled, but not in the sense of territory and topography. Current experience, say, even in the Ben Okiri. Ben Okiri is a very interesting example. He has not been exiled because of political persecution. He exiled himself knowingly. So even when exiled in exile knowingly, he wrote Famished Road, he was not exiled from his mythic tradition. Mm. So when I exiled myself into English language and I started writing in English, I didn't exile myself from the language my mother spoke, the language my father spoke, the language my relatives and the people spoke. So it is it, this mythicness uh, gives a, a sense and meaning to exile. So today exile has acquired a connotation of what is called frequent flyer. So you're exiled, you know, so you have your cabin baggage put into the flight and then you're exiled and uh, I'm coming from Sussex right now. So when we're asking you, I was exiled into Sussex on the weekend, my exile is over now. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is, you know, this is, this is, this is certainly, you know, uh, absurdity. Is there, absurdity. Is, there, is there such a thing as a happy poet? I mean... Or, or is, I mean, maybe asking the same question again and again. Maybe but, it's a search. I mean, you of course you search for happiness. This old story, you know, in Vishnu. No, but a non-persecuted, non-anguished. I'm sure. I mean, we can keep the word estranged, yes. maybe, uh, because there is something necessarily yes. different about that. But is, is there just like a happy guy who writes poetry? No, I mean that is a guy in search of happiness can only be a guy who is not happy. I mean, that's why he or she is searching for that. And uh, what? Uh, like, can one go from being a poet? to a non-poet? Uh, you know what I mean, and you know yes. why I ask you that. Yes. I, I tell you what, it's like love, you know, once you have loved in life, once, even once, it's impossible to live without love. You know, you know what it's it is. It's a great point. You know what it is. Mm. And uh, then you recognize, and you know, even when one is not writing poem, a lot of poets nowadays, they say that, you know, you are a poet only when you are writing poem. It's wrong. Yeah. I think you're a poet. If you're not the poet all the time, then you can't write one poem. Yeah. Because uh, sometimes it takes uh, 20 years for a certain line to be... It might look very romantic, sound very romantic, but it is not. It's a you know, very mundane reality of writing a poem that sometimes certain lines are made or some poem takes many, many years to be finished. Of course, in between, you must have written many other poems. That's sure. a different issue. Sure. But... Uh, and then this, uh, this uh, 
wonderful idea that uh, Sitanshu ji has brought about that this shabd and earth yeah. there is uh, a, a critic friend of mine who says that not only when the word and meaning are together that the poem is born but when they are estranged when they ha- there is a big tension, a tension between the two mm. and then he such created such as what such as for example you took out one meaning out of 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 the poem mm-hmm. even then the poem is filled with another meaning yeah poem is something whose essence cannot be removed from it you have to go on removing wow. it and a new mm. essence comes up mm. you have to go on removing like for example a work of sociology for mm. that matter or work of political history or science once you know the essence i'm afraid it is over it is exhausted but poem uses i mean the form of the poem is such that you take out one meaning or essence even it gets filled with new one and therefore you know there are poets of course we are talking about great poetry i mean kalidas still sounds full of meaning will 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 you know contemporary reader will fa- find kalidas to be full of meaning even today but this is not the meaning that uh, the you know a reader took 2000 years back no this is something else mm. and this is some kind of a magical jar and that gets filled with milk every time you empty it every time you and that's why the words in poem are inexhaustible they never exhaust and and therefore what you were asking about a bad poem so there can be series of that datedness is that so some poems get exhausted maybe in 100 years some in 200 years some in 15 years some in the lifetime of a poet now the great poetry like dante or like uh, kalidas or like bhas or you know they still are full they still can deliver i mean has kalidas written bad poetry oh uh, you know what i mean yes like is there good yes. poetry bad poetry or is the good poet bad poet it's very stupid to ask this in many ways but, but you is, know i'm asking i mean yes there is there are lines of kalidas certain lines within you know his great uh, you know plays which are very weak which sound very weak now because it's not like uniformly it interesting be. it can't be 500 years later 1000 no, it years can't, can't, be. can't be it can't be it can't be in that sense you're right because it will be full of that and uh, because there are certain lines which are very contextual hmm which cannot transcend their time but mm. there are lines and there are passages which transcend everything mm. which transcend space which transcend time which transcend lifetime everything but there are certain things which do not so then of course they become dated there and they are left behind so that of course is there no i was i was responding to udayan's uh, very interesting take on poetry uh, and 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 the relevance of poetry Uh, what i wanted to suggest here that poetry which assumes the form of history they become dated great mm. poems are not historical exactly yeah that's great, a great point yeah the great poems uh, are even when you speak to the power that be uh, great papers you know for instance uh, look at gita when krishna speaks of consequences of war that continues to remind us uh, yes and uh, in fact um, um, a hindi a great hindi poet uh, uh, 
poets have used, uh, you know, in different ways, the metaphor of, uh, you know, in the nuclear war context. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so my, my worry is that, uh, and when I speak to poet friends, uh, you know, poetry should never become history. If it becomes history, it's boring, dull. And my, 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 my problem with that kind of poetry, that it becomes a tool of oppression, you know. Uh, elsewhere around the world, uh, uh, authoritarian and totalitarian regimes have used poetry. A lot of poetry of that nature, you know, what is called Leninist, vanguardist poetry to oppress and repress masses uh, and kill them, slaughter them. That is the reason, uh, uh, and this is my very personal take on poetry. I'm a poet, and I confess that uh, I'm not a happy poet. Because my, for me, I write poetry when I'm in the cemetery. <laughs> I mean, on the cremation ground, literally. I mean, like uh, the other day I was writing on a poem published recently uh, on Banaras. I literally felt myself, I estranged from the world, alienated from the world, and entered into this cemetery zone. And then I wrote about celebration of life in the cemetery on the cremation ground. This is also very Indian, you know. And, and there is a tradition, you know. So when you look at uh, poems by Chandalas, you know, or these lower caste poems, uh, and Namdev Dhasal is so interesting. Yeah. And Namdev, when, when he expressed and unpacked this uh, symmetry, right before our eyes, uh, we were shocked and startled. So that's the reason my take on poetry is that poetry can never make anybody happy. That's the reason nobody likes poet, nobody reads poetry, nobody reads me. I'm an university professor and nobody knows that I'm a poet because this whole fear, I call it castration fear. The fear is so much from the poet that people feel that, you know, they need to enter into this cremation ground uh, to experience this uh, castration from the world around. So for me, poetry is that kind of uh, unhuman space where only, you know, half humans and half monsters can enter. Normal human being who has experienced, uh, you know, enlightenment traditions or the region and rationality. So, my dear friends, if you have region and rationality, please do not join me. What about the reader? Let's bring the reader in. What That's the reason the... I'm speaking to readers only. No, but what does the reader fear? The reader fear that I call, you know, this whole anxiety about castration. Is it, you know. is it anxiety? Is what, it... what does the reader fear? I, I would say, just, just a moment here. I think I, I, that's, that's why I related the sociology of poetry and mm. sociology of novel. If you look at him, I don't want to name him because he's a celebrity, popular, you know, pulp writer. You know, when he goes to poetry or any festival fest, he charges a fee. Uh, poets are normally not get, they, they don't get any fee. So the reason that, you know, the, the pulp writer, the great pulp writer, who's a celebrated pulp writer, you know, doesn't go through this whole experience of poetry. Po poets are, I would say, very different creatures. So they're th they're, they're, that's the reason, you know, the, the reader's relationship, see, it's kind of animal world, you know. So your relationship with this kind Is of creature. Is that not poetry? Is pulp poetry not poetry? I, I, I don't know much about pulp poetry, but I hear a lot about these days teenage poetry, teens poetry, pulp poetry, SMS poetry, flash poetry. I, 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 think, I think I'm hearing a lot of new forms of poetry. Uh, but I think, you know, 
uh, the poetry that I speak of, uh, that that relationship uh, between reader and poetry is is partly Oedipal, partly Oedipal, causes a lot of you know anxieties about who we are, and and that's the reason uh, it's very difficult to deal with poets. You know, that's the reason poetry as such. You know, barring these fashionable uh, pulp poetry, flash poetry, SMS poetry, is not popular. And my hunch is that poetry will never be popular. You know. Uh, that's the reason when Domil said, you know, and when I remember, you know, Mukti Bose said that uh, uh, I can speak about him, that, uh, you know, Punji se juda hirde badal nahi sakta, Bartaman samaj badal nahi sakta. Very simple way. But, but this, the, 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 the reader felt uh, complete uh, unease, unease, uh, unease about it. Mm. So with poetry, you have you know, enormous amount of unease to deal with it, but not with novel and short story. And therefore, you know, in uh, in most of the totalitarian societies, the poets who were writing very personal poems, like uh, Marina Shwetaeva, like uh, Mandelstam, they were not writing anti-revolution poems. But they were writing something which was very personal. And they were exiled. Yeah, They were not so, allowed to be published. The poets who were... Uh, and like, they were not double bluffs. No. Absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, they were that, own, that's one of the things that we were kind they, of talking about a while ago. They were only talking about their own disposition, their own pains, their own loves, their own separations. And the entire, this big regime felt threatened by them. All these four, five, you know, Pestenok or Mandelstam, Akhmatova. You read their poems today and you try to really uh, reason it out that why should they be you know, so much torture was given to them. They were writing something which was extremely personal. So why is a deeply personal poetic expression dangerous? It is dangerous because it, it allows... It taps into something universal. Because it allows the readers to be as personal, to be... Yeah, to be they evoke a truth in the like reader which is extremely personal. And once in an authoritarian world, the people start having their personal judgments, then of course the politics feels threatened. Right. Politics is not threatened by other politics. Politics is always threatened by a very personal, yeah, you know, take on the politics. That's interesting. A general, a general take on politics never threatened. So therefore, no political party actually is threatened by another political party. Political parties are threatened by individuals, by the lone voices, by the solitary voices. That's so interesting. Why don't we spend the last five, ten minutes just thinking about the future, the future of poetry. What's the future, uh, Satanshu, 500 years out? Might it evolve, morph into something else? Are we, is, is, is a sin talk of 500 years later uh, going to be different or similar to the kind of things we're saying just now? What's happening? Do you, do you uh, sense inflection points ahead? There are, of, two built, yeah, there are two built-in tendencies in uh, individuals and larger groups. One is to be comfortable. Everyone wants to be comfortable. And so bad poetry is written. <laughs> yeah. We'll continue to be written. Yeah. <laughs> so bad poetry is a good future, we'll grant you that. Yeah, so long as... And then individuals and groups and societies 
and other structures are not happy with uh, happiness. Because if you go on eating uh, uh, laddu every day, you want to eat something else. So there is a natural tendency of exploring. Novelty that seeking. Is, uh, exploring of uh, going out of comfort zone. Mm. And uh, as Udayan said, about trying to figure things out oneself. That I'm here, I find myself in this world, and I want to know. This is a very different kind of knowledge than platonic knowledge. Yeah. It is very physical. And that's why this zone of discomfort and even pain is connected with the pain and joys of the body. Mm. And uh, mm. that's why human body is very important for all the arts and certainly for literature. Even your distinction about novel and short story and poetry is very well taken. And uh, I stand benefited by that in mm. this conversation. But thinking of the future of poetry is that this other in instinct of... Uh, and that is where exile comes. Exile is moving away from comfort zone. Right. Mm. Had, uh, it could even be self-exile. Yeah. Self-exile. Yeah, yeah. So voyage and a voyage and exile, they intermingle. Yes. And no, no exile yeah. is... Ever. You can say this is too comfortable. Yeah. Let's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, too no comfortable. exile is uh, only uh, exile imposed on another person. It is always asked for, almost. Mm. So when Schopenhauer, Schopenhauer says that uh, when intellect gives up its natural work of protecting the ego, mm. then intellect sees something beautiful. Right. The tiger is coming, Schopenhauer says. The natural instinct of Intellect is to run away. But if you are mad or if you are creative, if you are mad or you are a poet, yeah. <laughs> you want to watch the beauty of tiger coming on. Yes. You might not get much time. You know, tiger may walk very quickly in two, three minutes. But those two, three minutes of great joy of watching tiger, tiger burning bright in the yes. forest of the William night. Blake. It's a, I think so long... Maybe uh, better than the rest of the life after you run away exactly. from the tiger. <laughs> <laughs> For those two, three minutes, for short time, uh, you can sacrifice everything. And uh, I think that is why had Rama ever always ruled Ayodhya mm. after Dasharatha, India would have forgotten him. India has forgotten many such kings. Yes. But because he went out, and so he is remembered, and with everything else. So, so long as this... Uh, uh, this... Uh, mistake of intellect uh, is available to persons and to mankind. Uh, poetry is inevitable. Terrific. Odeyan, what's the future? Uh, future, people will read poems because, uh, you know, Will, will being, anyone write poems? Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah who are you more optimistic about? I mean, not that, I mean, not pro you know, or against anti-poems. No, no, what I'm saying is that like human the, the, being is mm. an epistemological animal. Yes. He or she always wants to know. And poem is one very, uh, uh, very sharp way of knowing yourself. And this curiosity would never die. Because this is something 
which is fundamental to your existence. So do poets read other poets? Yes. Yes, they do. Voraciously. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is it a necessity? No, it's a joy. It's a joy. It's a joy. And it's also a necessity, maybe. I mean, a necessity when it's fulfilled, of course, it's joy. But you always feel attracted to that what that poet has written or could have written. Because you are... All other poets than you are always challenging the way you write. Yeah. Because they are writing differently. Yeah. So all poems are putting your poem in some kind of a questioning. Yes. And this, uh, which means a dialogue. Yeah. So you engage into that dialogue and it's very beautiful to be witness to this dialogue between poems to poems. Sorry, we'll go back to the old question. What's the future? There is a future. I would think that there will be poems written. How is the future? What's the future? How do you understand Yes, it? one thing, of course, I think that maybe with the... Uh, for coming few years, maybe there will be shorter poems, more haiku-like poems. But a time would come, I do think, when suddenly the longish, you know, the epic epics poems. would be will come back. This yeah. is what I feel that they would come back because. Why do you feel that? I feel that because we cannot live with so much restrictions around us. We will break it. What's the shortest poem? Uh, there is a poet in uh, Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's called he's called uh, Antonio Porquia. He writes his he has written a v- one book, some mm-hmm. something like uh, eighty pages long book, mm-hmm. entire life, and all his poems are one line poems. Mm-hmm. He says as, one line is that everything is endless; that which ends breaks. Yeah, and he has written all his poems like that. I think these kind of writings would also come. And coexist along with the epic poems. Yes, yes, I do think so. That they would. And 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 what about the form of it? What about the manner in which poetry exists? It has always existed in various forms, always, mm. and this will continue. Sure, this will always continue. Sure, sure. What's the future, Ashwini? Uh, I think, you know, uh, what uh, as I look at, uh, you know, what is called post, 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 uh, you know, a lot of post, post, post happening, uh, both in <laughs> aesthetics and philosophy. Mm. I think somehow, you know, we didn't discuss much about the relationship between poetry and philosophy. Yeah. Uh, both as I uh, see into the future, uh, which poets attempt to look into the future, uh, not novelists and short story writers, uh, I see clearly that words would words will be in short supply, but not poetry. Uh, words are becoming shorter, shorter and shorter and shorter, to the extent that because of the new technologies, technology is disrupting everything. So uh, let us not assume that poetry will not be impacted by these disruptive forces of or innovative forces of technology, mm-hmm. what is called post-human society. Mm-hmm. Poetry will enter into post-human society with a paradox. Poetry will continue with newer forms. Newer forms, again, you know, relates to a kind of continuity with classical what? Indian traditions, like, uh, say, uh, what is called in music, uh, you know, fusion music or metallic music uh, or rag malar with uh, jazz. That I anticipate, you know. So uh, in the West, uh, particularly, if you look at English poetry as such, uh, long, long, long poems, uh, more like, not like metric or verses, but prose poem. 
poems are you know flowing all over you know i mean like various uh, you know uh, forms of poem uh, which at this juncture uh, i feel i feel that you know what is the paradox here that poetry will will continue will continue enter into the post human you know that's going to happen we can't just prevent it not happening you know uh, but uh, the the but there will be multiplicity and plurality of the forms and many of the forms would not be created by words alone you know mm. there will be voices and where do i see voices and sounds yeah what voices i am looking at the voices of oppressed Mm. you know the voices of oppressed sometimes don't have words you know they are short supply but they the shake the world they threaten the world they reorder the world so poetry and philosophy will first time in the post human world come together because people don't like both of them and uh, they are not appreciated you know <laughs> they need to if join you are forces. a philosophy teacher nobody is there you know nobody pays for you if you are poet nobody pays for you so they this their fate will get more conjoined but they will continue to be part of a destiny of post human so this is this is what i look into and find again you know for me uh, uh, poetry and philosophy a uh, philosophy is life and poetry is death <laughs> so this is the way humanity would continue what, coming to what together. what is, is post human poetry for you satanshu does that make any sense i see continuities uh and not uh disruptions uh continuities uh come out of disruptions because otherwise it is be just stagnation so let me you, use three words stagnation disruption and continuity mm. right now there is lots of stagnation because there are so many equipment so many tools so many facilities that we are very comfortable and mm. we are not uh, really uh, suffering as we had suffered in the past there is mankind had suffered in the past there are remedies and so on and uh, political and economic forces are so clever that they don't permit suffering to go beyond a point there is a contained suffering so stagnation now disruption induced by some who have a natural tendency for leadership right hmm? that kind of disruption would not work because the socio political economic forces are so clever that uh, the agent provocateur has no chance now You you mean this in the context of poetry? No. So the third option. Yeah. So the third option of not stagnating, not disrupting in a artificial way, but permitting the broad kind of the the, the continuity of the broad river, the flow, the 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 flow of life that goes from generation to generation, from body to body. and that from genes to genes now this particular flow of life itself um unless the whole thing is disrupted unless you know uh, science submits to technology and technology submits to oppressive forces the whole thing is disrupted unless this happens you I see think, it as a flood yeah i think then then as you said you know newer poetry and poetry when has poetry remained the same 
if if kalidas is poet then kabir is not a poet yeah. but kabir is also a poet and if kabir is poet then a contemporary report is not a poet he is right so differently so poetry history of poetry is history of incessant change because of this lust for life because this thirst for uh, experience ingrained in a human being ingrained so, in human being in individuals and in species not only human beings life itself Perfect. I think that's a great, great, great note to end this on. Thanks to all of you for making it, and we look forward to having you soon again. Thanks. Take care. Take care.